Our message this morning seeks to answer the question, what is ahead for Israel? And as we'll see, I believe if we answer the question of what's ahead for Israel, it will give us insight into what's ahead for the whole world. So as we enter here into this new year of 2024, uh, I'm sure it's on our hearts and minds to seek to understand these times in which we live and to seek God's mind as to what he has revealed in his word, what is going to happen in the future. I believe that uh, signs are intensifying. We know the Lord Jesus told us to discern the signs of the times. Someone said we're living in the times of the signs. Discern the signs of the times. Now, let's be careful to understand what that means. We'll get into that in just a moment. Let me share with you, I mentioned the column that I write, and uh, here's a couple of places that you can find this exact message in a column form at sharperiron.org. Signs intensifying what's ahead for Israel. You'll also find that same material at raptureready.com, which is graciously running uh, these things every week. And uh, you can, in that way, have access to most of the details that I'll be presenting this morning. If you miss something or don't want to take the time to write them down, but you'd like to access them, they're most, mostly all there in that article, at least the scripture references and the main points. And I invite you to find that and make use of it. But what is ahead for Israel as we think about signs intensifying? Signs intensifying. The signs that point us to the final return of Christ. We know there are no signs of the rapture, I don't believe. The rapture is imminent. The rapture is the first phase of Christ's second coming. It's his coming for the church to take the church to be with him in heaven forever. And by the way, uh, forever. By the way, uh, how many here are ready for the rapture? Okay, does anyone have a problem the rapture wouldn't solve? Anyone like that? We're hopeful that uh, the Lord returns soon, but we know he can return at any moment, and there's nothing that has to happen before the rapture. There are no signs of the rapture. So I don't believe, for instance, that uh, what happened on October 7th, that certainly should have us all praying for the peace of Jerusalem, certainly we understand We'll see this morning the long-term plan for peace in Jerusalem. But even in the meantime, in this temporal time, we want to pray as much as possible that there would be peace in Jerusalem. And uh, I don't believe that the events of October 7th have any direct connection to the onset of the rapture because there are no signs of the rapture. The rapture can happen at any time. Um, but I do believe that what happened on October 7th, while it's also not a direct fulfillment of any biblical prophecy, in my estimation, it certainly is heightening, intensifying, setting the stage for future prophetic events. So those signs are intensifying, the signs of future events that will be fulfilled in the coming time of tribulation between the rapture and the final second coming of Christ, we see the shadows of those signs falling into our time. We, we have signs that we can see of future prophetic events being fulfilled in the tribulation before the final return of Christ. And those signs are getting clearer and brighter 
And again, the rapture must happen before the fulfillment of those events that are casting their shadows into our time today. And so, the events that happened on October 7th and since, which has been called Israel's Pearl Harbor and 9-11, rolled into one. Again, I don't believe it's fulfilling directly any specific prophecy in Scripture, but it certainly is moving us quickly ahead in terms of setting the stage for tribulation events. Now let's think about the place of Israel and Jerusalem specifically in God's Word and in the prophetic future. Dr. Randall Price, who is no stranger to uh, the church here, and he's a great friend uh, and a great uh, part of the Friends of Israel, the board member for our ministry. He knows as much or more about Israel as I think anybody who's ever lived, uh, and he spent much of his life there. And listen to what he wrote. He said, Jerusalem is the city at the center. It is at the center of mankind's hopes and God's purposes. God loves it. Satan hates it. Jesus wept over it. The Holy Spirit descended in it. The nations are drawn to it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Every nation in the world wants to get its hands involved in what happens in Israel. And that's exactly as Zechariah tells us it will be at the end of the age. Christ will return and reign in it. Indeed, the destiny of the world is tied to the future of Jerusalem. So if we understand what's ahead for Israel, we understand what's ahead for all the nations of the world. Israel is the city at the center. It's at the prophetic center of the world, as Ezekiel describes twice. Following the rapture, when the church is taken, the church will be in heaven. There will be no more church. There will be no more church age. Yes, there will still be a, a false church, if you will, that will linger on, but it has no relation at all at that point to God's work and program in the earth. God's focus in the world will once again return to the people of Israel. It will be an Israeli-centric time. And the worship of God, the work of God, the evangelization of the nations will all be centered in Israel, in Jerusalem, at the temple. And Israel will become the focus of God's work again, and that work will go forth from Jerusalem in some ways that we'll consider here this morning, Dr. Mark Hitchcock has preached a great message since October 7th called All Eyes on Israel. And he said that the Bible says and forecasts that in the end of days, all eyes will be on Israel. And we're living in a time like that right now. William E. Blackstone was a great early dispensational writer. He said, Israel is God's sundial. Now, a lot of people are protesting against Israel all around the world, I wonder how many of them could find Israel on a map. I wonder if you can find Israel on this map. Well, let me help you. It's right here, that tiny little space of land about the size of New Jersey. And uh, that's what we're talking about. Israel, as it exists today, with the people returning to the land in unbelief, reconstituting the nation of Israel, in preparation for prophetic fulfillment. They have to be back in the land as a nation for the tribulation after the rapture, for the tribulation to begin. 
Uh, Blackstone said, if we want to know our place in chronology, our position in the march of events, look at Israel. Dr. John Barnett said, Israel is God's timepiece for telling prophetic time. The church, it's, there's really nothing to look at and tell by looking at the church. There are general trends that the Apostle Paul talks about that will characterize the church age. But there's no way to look at the church and tell how close we are, how soon it will be that the rapture will happen. Again, the rapture is imminent. But as we look at Israel, we can see how God is moving and preparing and setting the stage for the final prophetic fulfillment that is prophesied even in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. My friend Dr. Andy Woods says it like this, Israel is a clock, it's the hour hand. Jerusalem is more specific, that's the minute hand. And then the Temple Mount itself, what is that? He said that's the second hand. When that temple reverts to Jewish control, which we'll think about just briefly this morning, and becomes once again the nucleus of God's activity in the world, that will be the time when the tribulation and the fulfillment of prophecy uh, is unleashed throughout the world, and God will be working in and among and through the people of Israel, the church having been taken to heaven. So the question before us is, how is the current conflict setting the stage for what's ahead? And I think it's critical that we as God's people, take some time and meditate on that question. And as we think of answers to that question, as we look ahead and see how current events are setting the stage for future fulfillment, we will then have a biblical grid, a biblical worldview to understand and interpret and evaluate and deal with the things that are happening right now as we see them setting the stage for prophetic fulfillment. And we'll see them in, in proper light. And uh, we can then uh, serve the Lord, and we don't have to be frustrated and upset and discouraged. We don't have to just wish all these things would stop or long for the good old days. But think about how God has placed us here very strategically by His sovereign plan for such a time as this. He's given us a stewardship to live at this incredible moment in history. And we will stand and give an account to him of how we have served him and how we have served and stood for the Jewish people in this hour of tremendous need. So how is the current conflict setting the stage for what's ahead? I'd like to uh, share six ways in which I believe that is happening. And we'll just deal with each of them uh, briefly, this is sort of a general overview, and I apologize if any of this is new or f foreign to some of you here. I'm sure at least someone here will uh, have questions. I'd love to be of uh, help to try to answer them afterward. We can't go into all the background and all the details of all the various things that we'll talk about this morning, but I hope it will be helpful and in the in, to the vast majority that it will it will fit into the great teaching that I know you already receive and uh, and uh, have had here through many years and that uh, you'll have understanding of the things we're talking about. Now, I did alliterate my points, and so therefore you'll at least have to interpret it to some extent. What I'm getting at with these, like when I talk about the sudden disappearance, uh, you may be able to catch right away that's talking about what? The rapture. 
the catching away, being caught up with Christ. Uh, The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain, we also will be caught up with them in a cloud of glory, meeting the Lord in the air. This sudden disappearance, I've already mentioned, is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. It doesn't relate to Israel, it relates to the church, but it then, after the rapture, as I've mentioned, God turns his attention to Israel. Uh, It relates to Israel only in terms of Jewish people who are believers today, who who are part of the church. The rapture ends the church age, and it fits a pattern uh, when we think of how God takes his glory before sending judgment. He removes his presence, as he did in Solomon's temple before the Babylonian captivities. We read the book of Ezekiel. We see how God's glory departed in stages from the temple and from the holy city. And then he sent judgment, and he sent the forces of Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the temple to chasten the people of Israel, the people of Judah. So it will be at the end of the church age. God will remove his temple, which is what is the temple that's here today that's that's God's viable work in the world? Well, it's us. It's the church. Individually and collectively, the Apostle Paul calls us the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we make up that temple, all believers worldwide. And God is not going to remove his infinite presence at the rapture, but he's going to remove his intimate presence, that special indwelling of the Holy Spirit that began on the day of Pentecost and will end with the rapture. And how many know that right now that that indwelling Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he's the restrainer working through believers that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2, and that's the only restraint that the world has, and it's the restraint that the world desperately wants to get rid of. Have you noticed that? They just want no restraint at all. Uh, Just take the brakes off completely and, and go full throttle into everlasting evil. That's the desire of our world, and it seems to be just palpable as we observe world events before us in these days in a way that I don't think has been true before. And one day that restraint will be gone. Can you imagine living in this world when the restraint is gone and there's just simply nothing hindering the progress and the work of evil and the man of sin who will be revealed? But God is going to remove that the temple. He's going to remove his intimate presence, his manifest presence, which is today exhibited in and through us, he's going to take us physically out of the world, and then judgment can fall. And this will be in the days of the tribulation, of course, as I've mentioned several times now, and I know this is familiar to many of you, but at the rapture of the church, believers are taken. The rapture does not begin the tribulation. The rapture ends the church age. Something else begins the tribulation that we'll think about. But the tribulation, I believe, very shortly after the rapture will commence. And then is the time of no longer setting the stage or shadows or signs, but then it's the time of fulfillment of Bible prophecy, everything that has been written by the prophets and by the Lord Jesus himself. So what are we seeing today? The current conflict, I think, is setting the stage, if nothing else, for the whole world 
to experience devastation in the wake of the rapture and the events that flow from it. You see, the rapture, though it's an act of grace and blessing, it's not a judgment. It's a, it's a benefit and a blessing for us as believers who will be taken to be with Christ. But there will be incredible disasters that will flow naturally from the rapture. Yes, I would assume there will be Christian airplane pilots flying planes at the moment of the rapture. There certainly will be Christian drivers driving automobiles all over the world at the time of the rapture. There will be thousands of other things, even more uh, significant or, or more essential, such as people taken from positions of leadership, people taken from homes and families. And the world will in one instant, Paul says it will happen in the twinkling of an eye, so, so suddenly that you cannot even comprehend it and it will be over, and in that instant the world will descend into utter chaos. It'll be like October 7 or like 9-11 happening all around the world all at once. It will be the first time since the flood of Noah's day that the whole world will be enmeshed in God's direct activity working in the world uh, to bring about physical events that will be a, a chastening for the world. And is it any wonder, is, does it take much imagination to look at our world today, to look at what's happening in Israel, to look at what's happening in Ukraine, uh, to think about things happening in our own beloved nation, the United States, to think about the worldwide economic scene and all kinds of things we could let our imaginations run into this morning and think of, uh, I, I think it's sort of seamless how it can go from this point that we are at into just worldwide devastation and people left wondering what could possibly happen next. And so I think that the current conflict, certainly in a general sense, is setting the stage for future events in that overarching way. But I think there's more specific ways also to come uh, you might not guess immediately what I'm referring to with this alliterated point, but I'm going to talk to you about the, the sages of divinity. Now, if you're really sharp, you might know that I'm th talking to you about the two, what? Witnesses. See, after the rapture, as the tribulation is about to begin, we'll see in a second, Malachi says they actually appear, I believe, before the tribulation. Two men will appear on the world scene. Their story is told in Revelation 11. Uh, we call them the two witnesses. They're the first of four groups of tribulation believers. I believe they will identify and evangelize and train and commission 144,000 other, in this case, Jewish young men. The two witnesses seem to appear supernaturally. They're, coming, they're two men who are coming back from beyond, from, the, from being in heaven with the Lord. They're brought back, their physical bodies are resuscitated. They're brought back for an extension of the earthly ministries they had previously. The 144,000, these are young Jewish men who've missed the rapture. They appear naturally. But the two witnesses will train the 144,000 who will go out and reach a great multitude, people of every nation and tribe and tongue and people. 
This is talked about in Revelation chapter 7. And they will also, the the two and the 144,000, will launch the final future restoration of Israel, in which all Israel will be saved. Millions upon millions of people will be saved during the tribulation. Isn't that wonderful? The grace of God will be displayed almost in an unparalleled fashion during the tribulation. The downside of that is many of those people will, of course, they'll be persecuted and many will be martyred and many will be killed. They'll have very short lives of faith. Well, who are these sages of divinity, these two witnesses? Malachi tells us, I believe for sure, that one is Elijah. And he says he, that God will send Elijah the prophet, notice, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And as we look at Revelation 11, I think that the other is clearly described there as the second minute phase of the ministry, if you will, of Moses, whom, whom Malachi also speaks about in the previous verse in Malachi 4. Moses and Elijah are these two witnesses. They will be God's spokesman as the tribulation begins. They will appear, I believe, very shortly, most likely very shortly after the rapture, before the tribulation begins, and they will be those that speak on behalf of the Lord God, that declare his message, that interpret the events that are happening for those with ears to hear throughout the whole world. Now, how does our current conflict relate to the coming of the two witnesses? Well, I think in this simple way that the current conflict is setting the stage for Israel to accept God's revelation, becoming open to hearing the gospel of their own Messiah. This is something that the Friends of Israel has been deeply involved with with, since October 7th. Giving humanitarian aid in many different ways, not only in Israel, but helping Jewish people all around the world, always with a view of also bringing them the gospel of the Messiah. And one of our staff workers in Israel just last week gave this report. And by the way, there's more along the same line that you can read about in the current issue of Israel My Glory magazine. But this person said that since that awful day of October 7th, most people in Israel are willing to hear and speak about spiritual matters and biblical truth. You can find much more about that from various means from Friends of Israel. But there's a new openness, it's been said, to the gospel, to the Messiah, to what does the scripture say, not simply what does rabbinic tradition say, but what does the Bible say. And I believe that God is even now setting the stage for the ministry that will unveil after the rapture, during the tribulation, even before the tribulation, through the two witnesses, since the events of October 7th. Well, the events of October 7th and all that's followed is also setting the stage for pointing us toward a signing with death. You might say, what in the world does that mean? Well, I might add a word there, signing a covenant with death. Uh, Let's think about this. Dr. David Jeremiah said this, the Jewish people have survived by remaining vigilant but they long for peace. And you can, you can sense that as you, if you watch much of the news 
from reliable sources coming out of Israel and see what's really happening, what the people really desire. It certainly involves the longing for peace. Mark Hitchcock said that when this war finally is over, you can imagine the whole world is going to be clamoring for peace. It's almost uh, been clamoring for that since even before this war of defense for the people of Israel began, hasn't it? Can it just please end? Can we please have a ceasefire? Can we please stop all this? Can there somehow be peace? And the people of Israel want peace. And by the way, as these events continue in Israel, if we stand with Israel and with the Jewish people and for Israel's right to defend itself, that ridicule that's aimed at the Jewish people is going to come at each of us, by the way. Because we will have the same target as the world clamors for this peace and and uh, gr- uh, reduces continually its estimation of the Jewish people, will turn its anger on us if we support them. We'll do that in the same way. We know that at the tribulation, what is this signing with death? Well, it's the signing of a covenant. The tribulation does not begin with the rapture. It begins with the signing of a covenant that's described in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. The coming prince... The people who destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD have a future prince coming back. Those are the Roman people. That Roman prince is going to establish and confirm a covenant with the people of Israel for one week, for seven years. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's just think broadly about this. That tribulation period that you see on the screen, it's divided into two halves that total up seven years, and those the, the covenant, when it is signed, that establishes something we're going to see here for seven years, that will be the official beginning of the tribulation. That will be the point in God's mind and in prophetic revelation where the tribulation specifically begins with the signing of that covenant. When that, uh, when that covenant is signed between, I believe it is between the Antichrist and the people of Israel. Now this is a point that is lost on many people. Many people today are saying, why should we be concerned with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel, when, help me congregation, are most of the people in Israel today, are most of them believers or unbelievers? unbelievers. And so many are just sort of worn out on this whole issue and say, why should we bother? Why should we be concerned? Why would we stand with Israel when they're mostly all unbelievers? Well, you've missed the point entirely. First of all, we should be concerned with all unbelievers, right? But secondly, Israel has to be back in the land in unbelief reconstituted as a nation to make a covenant with the Antichrist for the tribulation to begin. That's the whole point. They're being regathered today in unbelief. They'll be regathered finally and fully in belief during the tribulation to receive their kingdom. 
they'll God will use the tribulation to bring the people of Israel to repent, to receive the king and his kingdom. Today he's bringing them back to chasten them in the land, but then he'll be bringing them back into the land fully and completely to restore them and bless them in the land in the coming kingdom. But what is this signing with death? Isaiah describes it picturesquely like this, really the first reference to this covenant. In Isaiah 28, 15, he says, the people will have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We are in agreement. We're in agreement with hell itself. This is the covenant that the people of Israel will forge together with this one who is called the man of sin, who is to be revealed after the rapture, as the tribulation begins. I believe he'll be specifically revealed by the signing of that covenant. He's called the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2. He's going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. Now, who is this one again from Daniel had described him in this precise detail in Daniel 9, 26 and 27. He is the prince who is to come. He relates to the people. The people of the prince who is to come destroyed the city and the sanctuary. Daniel 9, 26. In 70 AD, that was the, the Roman nation, the Roman army. There will be a revived Roman confederacy at the end of the world. It's the kingdom of this prince who is coming, I believe the Antichrist, who will confirm this covenant with many for one week. Now we could spend the whole hour and more on the idea of the one week. What does that mean for one week? Seven years, one seven, one period of seven. Because in the Hebrew language, the word week does not have the connotation of a week of days necessarily, like our word week. So it's just a period of seven. And we believe that if we look at this whole context in Daniel chapter 9, and I hope that, dear friends, one thing that you'll do out of this message to take all of these scriptures that we're talking about and referencing and the showing on the screen, and again, you can find them in the article I've written, I hope you'll search these scriptures and see if these things are so. Take another day off here of New Year's time and, or an afternoon and look through all of them. Read the text. If you have a wonderful study Bible, read the notes in your Bible or another trusted Bible commentary or encyclopedia. Read the text. Read the notes. Remember, the notes aren't what? Inspired like the text. But search the scriptures and see if these things are so. Search Daniel 9, 24 through 27, how Daniel outlines 70 weeks for the whole prophetic future of Israel. The first 69 were fulfilled before the Messiah was cut off. The last, the 70th week, remains out in the future, one period of seven years. I believe that's the tribulation. And there will be a covenant made between the Antichrist and Israel, unbelieving Israel, nation brought back into her land for seven years. The current conflict is obviously, I think, setting the stage for Israel to be in such a place of desperation yearning for a covenant that might finally provide peace. Some credible, reliable source of strength and security and peace that will also provide the people of Israel 
with honor on the world stage. They would be so eager to sign such a covenant. And I think that we've been rushed quickly toward that point by the events that have happened on October 7th and since. A, a fourth area that I think is not hard to picture as well is that of spiritual delusion. What does the Bible say about the last days as we move toward the tribulation? Well, Paul said even before the tribulation in the church age to the church at Thessalonica, let no one deceive you by any means. That would be a great verse to start the new year with, if nothing else, wouldn't it? Let no one deceive you by any means. Because as we move toward the days of the tribulation, it is going to be a time of incredible deception. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. Who could have imagined on October 7th, as you woke up and saw the events in the news of what was happening in Israel, that within just days, at the most weeks, this would turn into the, the most horrible wave of anti-Semitism and even physical attacks and threats upon the people of Israel worldwide, as if the people of Israel had launched the attacks of terror on that morning. It's a new wave of demonically inspired, irrational and insane worldwide anti-Semitism, a hatred for the Jewish people a, that's fueled by demonic insanity. Uh, there is deception throughout the world. Jesus said that in the days of the tribulation, there'd be a specific kind of deception when many would come in his name saying, I am the Christ, and they'll deceive many. There'll be false Christs and false prophets, false teaching everywhere. And we're certainly living in the precursor to that time. And there is incredible deception. Paul said that during the tribulation, I invite you to especially read the whole second chapter of Second uh, Thessalonians, which talks about these issues in greater detail than we are going into this morning. But that I believe it's at the midpoint of the tribulation when some other things happen that we'll just touch on, that God is going to actually send the world a strong delusion so that they will believe an incredible lie. A time of deception and delusion. Again, Jesus said false Christs and false prophets. They'll be here and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, even those who are believers, even God's uh, elect people, the nation of Israel. Jesus said that he had come in his Father's name, and the people of Israel had not received him. You know, here's a really sad aspect of all of this is that it's not only going to be this worldwide deception and delusion, but it's also going to be focused in and among the Jewish people. Jesus, with a broken heart, said that they had not received him, but another would come in his own name, and him they would receive. I believe that's the Antichrist. The people of Israel, having rejected the true Christ, will embrace the Antichrist. What deception 
What delusion. It will impact the whole world. It will even impact God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. Certainly, I think we're seeing the current conflict setting the stage for the whole world to fall into deception, believing lies about God and about his chosen people. And then there will be a satanic desolation. And I use that word specifically as it's given to us in the scriptures. Let's think generally first for just a second about the fact Jesus said this whole future history, really going back to the time of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon invaded Jerusalem, during since the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, and Rome, and it would go all the way till the end, till the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, all the way through the tribulation, that Jerusalem will be trampled down. Certainly we're living in the midst of that time. David Jeremiah said the nation of Israel becomes more and more isolated, threatened with extinction, and continually terrorized by the murderous hostility of its surrounding neighbors. Well, there's this general desolation, if you will, of Jerusalem, but it's going to become very pointed at the midpoint, going back to Daniel chapter 9, Again, I know we're looking at a lot of different scripture references this morning. And I encourage you to, as I said, consider these things even more uh, as you're able after we leave from here. But it's in the middle of that 70th week, at the midpoint of those seven years, that the Antichrist breaks the treaty that he had made with Israel. He breaks it by bringing an end to sacrifice and offering, meat offering and grain offering. If the breaking of the covenant means the cutting off of those sacrifices, the making of the covenant must mean that it allowed for those sacrifices. So that the key to the whole covenant is it will allow the people of Israel to return to temple worship. If you're thinking of uh, uh, tuned in to me completely, you may remember I talked about sacrifice way at the beginning of the message. There's going to be sacrifice again in the future, in the tribulation and in the millennial kingdom. But what is the uh, Antichrist going to do? He's going to abominate the temple and desolate it. That specific language that Daniel uses that reminds us of what one had done earlier, Antiochus Epiphanes. In the middle of the 2nd century BC, the events that laid the groundwork for the Maccabean revolt and the celebration of Hanukkah among the Jewish people. How can there be a temple so quickly after the rapture? Uh, we'll, ha- we'll go over this very simply for sake of time, but if we turn back to the book of Ezra, at the return of the people, the first wave of return from captivity, long before they rebuilt their temple, built the second temple, Solomon's temple having been destroyed, they immediately instituted temple worship. They just had to have the proper priests offering the proper sacrifice at the proper location and altar. So I think very quickly, within days if not hours of the rapture, there can be a covenant that allows for temple worship and sacrifice can begin again. God honoring sacrifice. Remember, this is an Israeli-focused time. 
The covenant with the Antichrist will allow for the use of the location of the temple. The two witnesses will identify the priests. Remember that 12,000 of the 144,000 are from the tribe of Levi. Not every Levite is a priest, but every priest is a Levite. So much more that we could say about that. But Daniel calls what's going to happen at the midpoint the abomination of desolation. Again, the same language that's used to describe what Antiochus did centuries earlier. And Jesus uses that same language showing us that he's not talking about the past historical incident. He's talking about something still future to Jesus' day. There will be an abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. And he adds this footnote, whoever reads, let him understand. What is this abomination? It's that the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God, sets himself up in the temple, and demands worldwide worship, and institutes at that point Revelation 13, the mark of the beast. And this is when those who receive that mark receive also that strong delusion that God will send. I believe they reach a point of no return, no turning back. At that midpoint of the tribulation, if you're not a believer, at that time, and you take the mark of the beast, I believe your mind will be overtaken with a delusion. You'll, you'll live on physically, but you'll die eternally. Those who refuse the mark will be in danger of being martyred physically, but they'll live eternally. But we know that the Antichrist is not only going to do this specific work, but he's going to turn his focus on the whole nation of Israel. He's going to desolate Destroy, seek to destroy the whole nation, persecuting them. There will be many Jewish martyrs simply for being, for their Jewish heritage. They'll be killed, and he will seek their destruction. And the Bible says that all nations of the earth will be gathered against Jerusalem, Zechariah 12.3. In Zechariah 14.2, God is going to gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Again, I don't think it takes much imagination for me to make the point. The current conflict is setting the stage for Israel to be targeted for annihilation, hated and hunted by Satan and his demonic and human forces, aided by those who are of deluded thinking, who are deceived into this irrational hatred of the people of Israel. The final way in which I think that current, the current conflict is setting the stage for the future fulfillment of prophecy and uh, for what is about to happen in Israel is that there is a supernatural deliverance that is foreshadowed by the current conflict. We talked about this during our songs this morning, uh, some verses that I'll share with you here. Remember that Zechariah 12.10 tells us that when Jesus returns, the people of Israel will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will do what? They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And I think that it will be for some of them, perhaps for many of them, in that very last available instant, that last millisecond before Jesus brings an end of the time of tribulation and it's time for judgment to begin. The very last second of grace Many will look in faith and mourn when they see Jesus and recognize and realize that he was their Messiah.
that they've missed it all along. And they will trust in him and be saved and be saved for eternity. They'll look on him whom they've pierced. We know that the whole nation, as it exists, when Christ returns, the whole nation will be saved. That doesn't mean that every Jewish person who's ever lived or even that every Jewish person who begins the tribulation will all be saved, but that the nation as it exists at the end of the tribulation, when Christ returns, as it's constituted then, the whole people of Israel will be saved. Everyone who lives in Zion, everyone who remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone recorded among the living. God is bringing the people of Israel back in unbelief today in preparation for the day when he will bring them back in belief to finally and fully restore the people and nation of Israel. The current conflict is setting the stage for Israel to come to a place of restoration. God is working all things for good to those who love him. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's moving history toward the end that he has forecast and given to us in his predictive prophecies. And he's bringing Israel today toward that place where he will deliver them and provide final salvation through the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, all rooted in the covenant God made with Abraham. And I think that the stage is being set before our eyes through current events in Israel for all these things that are going to happen in the prophetic future. And as we view the events of our time then in that light, we take hope in what God has promised We can be renewed in our enthusiasm to serve him, though times may grow dim, though days may become difficult. And so that just leaves us with a couple of questions as we close. God is blessing the whole world through the people of Israel. He has blessed us. Our whole Western civilization is built on the people of Israel. Our Savior is a Jewish man, Our Bible is a Jewish book. Our hope is for a Jewish kingdom. How can we oppose the Jewish people? Have you received the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel? Christ himself, who came to be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again, opening the way to life so that we could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven if we trust in him alone. Have you received him? The God who became also man is your trust in him today. And then, if it is, and I trust that it is, are you willing to try to be a blessing to those of whom God has said, I'll bless those who bless you? Two different Hebrew words for curse. Watch that one. I'll curse the one who fails to bless you. What a day in which to live and to seek to be a blessing to the people of Israel, to pray for Israel. I hope that's your heartbeat today as we think about these Very significant things. What's ahead for Israel? Which will help us to understand what's ahead for the world and how we should live in the world of our time. And so, Father, I pray that you will use these things to indeed encourage our hearts. Use all these scriptures that we've referenced this morning to work faith in our hearts, for we know that faith comes only by hearing the word of God. And I pray that you'll use them to bring glory to yourself as we wait for the return of Christ in this amazing day in which you've placed us. We pray in his name. Amen.